Today I want us to look at 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 on the story of Elijah. Elijah. There's an Elisha and this is Elijah. He comes just before Elisha. And 1 Kings is about Elijah's work and the prophet. And the second Kings is about Elisha's work. Elijah comes out of nowhere. You don't really know anything about him, except he's called Elijah the Tishbite, which means uh, an area across the Jordan, very uh, wilderness, grown up, not very inhabited. And he lived and he preached in the northern kingdom of Israel under King Ahab about 800 years before Christ. Uh, Israel had divided the, the 10 tribes of the north had divided from Judah in the south. And so they had become basically the north and south civil war, just like we had. Elijah is sent to this northern kingdom uh, and to Ahab and Jezebel. Some of you have probably heard of Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. You can hear the name Baal in her name because she came from a family of idolaters who worshipped the god Baal, a fertility god. And Israel was overrun with this degrading form of worship. Baal is supposed to be the god of harvest. So God had sent a drought for three years. There had been no rain for three years. Elijah comes in the midst of this. He's a powerful prophet. He's even on one occasion raised the dead. And in the New Testament, he's mentioned at least eight times and even appears in a New Testament event called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was with his disciples and Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus and discuss his crucifixion. So he's one of the most famous of the prophets and even today, when the Jews celebrate Passover, they leave a special chair at the meal for Elijah. And they leave it empty in case he knocks on the door. One of the most famous stories about Elijah comes from 1 Kings chapter 18. You may be familiar with it. It's on Mount Carmel in Israel and because God had stopped the rain for three years people were desperate drought and famine and poverty and disease so Elijah says how long are you going to halt between two opinions are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal so let's have this big duel and get all the prophets of Baal there were about 450 of them, gather them up on the mountain, give them a bull, an ox, 
and let them sacrifice him and call on Baal to send fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. And I'll do the same. If Baal doesn't answer, then I'll put my oxen on the, sac- on the altar and, and sacrifice it. And I'll call on my God to send fire from heaven and let the God who answers by fire be the Lord of Israel. And all the people said, we agree with that. So they get all the, the accoutrements of this sacrifice and the Baal prophets march around their sacrifice from morning till noon, crying out to Baal. Elijah, in a bit of mockery, uh, look at 1 Kings 18, 26. Uh, In verse 26 of chapter 18, it says, They took the bull given them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning to noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. At noon, you know, several hours into this, Elijah mocked them, verse 27, saying, cry aloud, for he's a god. Perhaps he's musing, uh, a word that means um, uh, being entertained. Maybe he went to the movies. Or he says, perhaps he's relieving himself, verse 27. Y'all know what that means. Elijah's saying, hey, maybe your God has gone to the bathroom. Let's give him some time to get back. Or perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and he must be wakened up. And they cried aloud, verse 28, and cut themselves. They were bleeding profusely all around the altar with the sacrifice on it, calling on Baal. But as he puts it again, this is the second time, verse 29, as midday passed, they raved on till the time of the offering. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, verse 30, come near to me. And Elijah sacrifices his bull, puts water all the way around it in a trench, fills it up, pours it on three times. And in 1 Kings 18 verse 36, it says, At the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, And I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, even the stones and dust and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, 
He is God. Well, that's wonderful. And as if that wasn't enough, he then prays for rain and God gives it to him. 1 Kings 18 verse 41. He says he goes to Ahab and says, Go up, eat and drink, for I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And Elisha begins to run back to Jezreel, the home of the palace of Ahab. Ahab gets in his chariot. He drives hard back home to Jezreel. And Elisha runs and beats him there. Um, do we have the map of Jezreel? So you can, Mount Carmel is up on that tip end, and you can see that's about a 20-mile journey from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And Elisha runs it. You think you're good in the crim. Should have seen Elijah outrun Ahab and his chariots. So you come to the end of verse of chapter 18, and the fire has come from heaven. The people have visible proof of the true God. The Baal prophets were all executed, all 450 of them. Elijah is vindicated as the man of God, the true prophet. And rain is coming down in buckets. Man, what is not to like about this picture? But then you open chapter 19 with this strange episode in the life of Elijah. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword, false prophets. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Now you would think Jezebel is going to say, you know what, I've been wrong all this time. It's obvious you're the true prophet and the Lord is the true God. Baal's a phony. But listen to what she says. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods do to me and more also if I don't make you as one of those prophets by this time tomorrow. Ouch. And what did Elijah do? Verse 3. Then he was afraid. <laughs> it's like he stood against 450 men in chapter 18. But one angry woman scared him to death. Have you ever seen a really angry woman? Whoa. And it says that he, verse 4, he says he, or verse 3, he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life. <laughs> Amen, brother. I'm coming with you. And he got to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Uh, 
Give me that next map up. Beersheba. Up there's Jezreel at the top of the north, northern Israel. He runs for his life to Beersheba at the southernmost tip of Judah. <laughs> That's like 90 miles. Ain't nothing will make you run faster than an angry woman. <laughs> I guess. He goes all the way to Beersheba and then a little bit farther to be by himself. In verse 4, he went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die. You prayed to die. I'm like, what? For He says, I, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What happened to Elijah? Uh, some uh, refer to this condition by calling it burnout. And it's not just pastors and prophets, but staff members, volunteers, sometimes just Christians in general. You, they, they just get tired of Christianity, religion, and requirements and the duties that go with it. I'm just, I'm tired of it all. I just want to take a break. Nurses, police, high-pressure jobs that require production quotas. Fast-paced, intense. And, and one of the things that's interesting is that after a great victory and a great success, we are most vulnerable. It's such an intense adrenaline high that it leads to a emotional, physical low. What is wrong with Elijah? Let's diagnose this a little bit, if we could. We know he had fought, prayed like no man had prayed, and had the fire fall, publicly vindicated. But look at Ahab. Is he a follower of, Ahab, of Elijah now? No. He goes home and complains to his wife. Elijah killed all the prophets. Is Jezebel all struck? No, she put out a contract on the man. She's hostile. And by the way, let me add this. You know, sometimes you stand amazed at lost people when the proof of God is clear and they don't care. It doesn't faze them. They're worse than before. It's like, what's wrong with you? You ever felt like that? And 
Is Israel returning to God in droves? Not really. If you read the story, it's like not a lot really came from that. So one of the things is Elijah is disappointed. He had such high hopes. Great victories which seem to come to little. Another thing is, I think he's just exhausted physically. Look at verse 6 or verse 5. He lay down and slept under a broom tree and an angel touched him and said, Rise and eat. Verse 6, And he looked and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and drank. And lay down again. He's tired. You know, when, you, when you're so tired that you lay down and you go right to sleep under a tree, you get up and you eat and drink something, and you lay right back down and go to sleep again, that's tired. And verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is great. So one of the things is not only disappointing results, but he's just physically exhausted, which, which might be a good place for us to jump into this. How does God renew us? What, what are things God does to recover us spiritually when we're just tired of it? We've referred to one of them, but let me just mention it again. One thing God does is let us rest. Physically, emotionally, take a break. Don't stop worshiping and don't stop attending the church of the living God and hearing His Word, but rest. And I want to point something out here. Look at verse 5 again. He lay down and he slept. And the next thing, behold, that is, look at this. An angel touched him and said, rise and eat. And he looked and behold, there's a cake baked. <laughs> and a water jug. God sent an angel and provided food while he was sleeping. Have you ever thought about what God does for you when you're sleeping? Did you know that the Lord never sleeps? Well, what does he do? He lets you sleep and he does things while you sleep so they'll be ready for you in the morning. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. There's a verse in Psalm 127, verse 2, that the New American Standard puts it like this, it's vain for you to rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. You see that? In other words, you're, why don't you get up so early, stay up so late, and just working your finger to the bone? Look, if you just sleep, he gives to his beloved in sleep. 
It's not all dependent on you. God's giving things to you. Just relax. Go to sleep. You know, it's amazing what God does for us when we sleep. In Genesis 2.21, Adam was looking for a wife. How many is looking for a wife? Okay, I see those hands. <laughs> I will get you together. No. But Adam's looking for a wife. He goes through all the beasts. He finds no suitable helper. And then what does he do? God puts him to sleep. And when he wakes up, there she is. God made Eve while Adam was in a deep sleep. Now, y'all ought to think about that. How do I find a wife, Brother Larry? Go home and go to bed. That's your best shot. And you know what? Mark 4, 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on a ground. How does the kingdom grow? It's like the kingdom is like a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises and the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. Have you ever, y'all have a garden? You, you do, you see it one day and Go home and sleep and you get up the next morning, go look out and boy, the tomatoes are a little riper today and the flowers are opening up and this all while you sleep, you didn't have anything to do with it. The kingdom of God grows like that. <laughs> I have over a hundred church growth books. I've read them all, some of them more than once. And you know, not one single growth book tells you that here's the key to church growth. Go to sleep. <laughs> okay, then. And it's interesting that God provided the basics to Elijah even in his lapse of faith. Did you know you do not have to be at your highest level for God to meet your needs? God provides for you. Even if you've lapsed into unbelief and want to die, and you think, oh man, God's not even doing anything for me now. And all the while, he's given you food, clothing, and shelter. And he does that whether you're in faith or in unbelief. God's active on your behalf. Dejection does not mean rejection. And by the way, let me just comment on something he said here in verse 4. He asked that he might die. He said, it's enough. O Lord, Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I had to think about that a little. What does that mean? I'm no better than my father's. Oh, you mean you thought you were? Yeah, I thought I was something special. I thought the world was on my shoulders. 
and I was going to save the whole thing. But I've discovered that I'm no better than my father's. Let me tell you something. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Deliverer. There's only one Redeemer. And it ain't us or anybody here today. And notice, if you will, up in verse 10, he says, when God says, why are you actually here? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life. Did you notice how many times he used the word I? Three times. I. I'm the only one. And I only am left. And now they're trying to kill me. Oh, what will happen? How bad it is. Pessimism is a part of being exhausted and burning out. Very pessimistic. And you get cynical. You want to avoid cynicism. And he says, I'm the only one left. And that is patently not true. You know how I know that? Because in the previous chapter, Obadiah had come to him, Elijah, chapter 18, verse 13, and plainly says to him, Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the true prophets? And I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets in a cave and fed them? So he's already been told there's a hundred. So he's exaggerated the bad news. So this is all part of physical and emotional exhaustion. So what does God do? Gives him rest. Physical, emotional rest. Here's a second thing he does for him. He gives him direction. He speaks to his heart. Uh, in chapter 19, starting in verse 11, he says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains, and the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then the wind, after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire, the sound of a still, small voice gives, gives him direction. The word still is used in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is used of a calming voice. It's like the, uh, the waters of a sea have now calmed down. It's a calming, soft voice. Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. God gave him a calming word. That's one of the ways you can know God speaks to you. It's just very peaceful. It just brings you a deep sense of confidence that it's okay. Uh, this past week, or maybe it was last week, um, I, 
I took off. I appreciated uh, Ted filling in for me. And uh, I just kind of was resting and not wanting to really do much of anything, especially mundane stuff. And uh, my wife was complaining about her car. And she said, uh, I don't know when I'm going to take it in because the tire light is on. So I don't know when I'm going to be able to get in because I work during the day and I got piano lessons and softball at night. So when can I take it in? And, and I heard her, you know, talking to herself. When she gets real uptight, she talks to herself. And so I said, yeah, it's tough to be you. I didn't tell her that. But then I, that next morning, I kind of felt like God was speaking to me. Why don't you take it in? You're not doing anything this week. Oh, I don't want to take it in and sit there and wait. And then, you know how you can tell God speaking? It's an increasing, continual pressure that's clearly specific. Just keeps coming. Starts getting more intense. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that for her. I called her up and yeah, I'll come and get it and I'll take it in for you. And uh, I mean, the great sacrifice of the husband lays down his life for his wife. And so I was going to take the car in. And driving her car to Bell Tire, I had this tremendous peace. It was like, I am in the will of God so firmly. I am as secure as the gold in Fort Knox. That's exactly what I thought. Because I knew I was directly in the will of God. That's the still small voice gives you this incredible peace and confidence. So I got it there. Sure enough, one of the tires was a little bit low, caused the light to come on. And uh, when they pulled it in, the guy who pulled it in was not comfortable with a manual transmission and it ran off of <laughs> the lift and hit a tire changer and did over $3,000 worth of damage to the front end. Thank you, God. <sighs> and later I thought, of that, I thought, that is a strange event. That's just sort of weird. And I thought, did I not hear from God? I thought, no, I know I heard from God. I did what God wanted me to do. Just so happened some guy can't drive a manual. <laughs> but when you hear from God, that still small voice, and it speaks to you and it calms your spirit, nothing can shake that. Nothing can shake that. She'll get her car back and it'll be brand new. It'll have a new bumper. It already had some little spots in it anyway and dings and now it'll all look nice and everybody will be happy and it'll look nicer than it ever has before. And I will have obeyed God and gone to the great sacrifice of laying down my life. God gave him direction in this still small voice. What did he tell him? Look at verse 15. The Lord said to him, 
Now go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael, king of Syria, to be king over Syria, Jehu to be king over Israel, and Elisha to be the prophet in your place. Man, I mean, he covers the gamut. In other words, Elisha, or Elijah, it's not just one event. It's not Mount Carmel only. It's not Ahab only. It's not one prophet only. It's not one nation only. It's not one generation only. I am reaching out. I've got plans that go up to Syria, the future of Israel, the generation that follows you. I've got this thing covered. God gives him direction and assurance that is going to cover all events, all nations, another prophet, another king, another generation. And by the way, those who study these kind of things intently counted the miracles Elijah did and then the miracles that Elisha did in 2 Kings and found that Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah. The next prophet that I'm putting in your place is going to be even better than you. He'll have a double anointing. So you can just relax. It's going to be even better after you're gone. <laughs> God gave him this wonderful rest, new direction and encouragement. And he gave him one more thing. And I love this part. In the last statement, God told him in verse 18, 1 Kings 19, verse 18, I'm going to leave 7,000 in Israel, knees that have not bowed to Baal, mouths that have not kissed his image. Now the King James Version says, I have left, past tense. The English Standard Version says, I will do it. God tells Elijah, I want to tell you something. I am going to so intervene in Israel. You couldn't, you couldn't find but one, you thought you were the only prophet? I am going to choose and preserve and secure thousands of Israelites before I'm done. You know, this is the doctrine of election. Especially if you take the English Standard Version, it's something God's going to do in the future. You know it's election because in Romans 11, 2 through 6, Paul quotes this verse and this story. And he says to people discouraged about Israel, he says, remember what God told Elijah, how that he was going to reserve 7,000. So, and then Paul says, so at this time, there is in Israel an election by grace. Calls it election, a gracious intervention of God predetermined and selects people and brings them out, gathers them up until they are in the thousands. 
that is God's proclamation of victory for the future. It's an incredible prophecy that God gives to Elijah to encourage his heart. The future belongs to God and his elect will be gathered in. Paul experienced something like that in Acts 18 when he was very discouraged in Corinth. He first got to Corinth. There was no church at that time. And he's become fearful. And in Acts 18, verse 9 through 11, God comes to Paul and he says, The Lord appeared to Paul one night in a vision and said, Paul, do not be afraid, but keep speaking and teaching. Do not be silent. I am with you. No one will harm you. For I have many people in this city. I've got a lot of people. You keep on teaching. Don't be afraid. I've got a lot of people. And now, he didn't have hardly anybody at that point. But God's telling Paul he's got an elect people. And to keep teaching, keep preaching, because those chosen people will come into the faith. And Paul did. Stayed a year and a half. And the church of Corinth was born. We have First and Second Corinthians that he writes to them later. One of the largest churches in the New Testament age. God says something similar to Elijah. So what did he do to restore and renew his faith? Gave him rest. Gave him direction. Gave him an assurance for the future. And I pray those three things will be yours also today. Ushers, if you will prepare to come Let's bow together as we pray and let's ask God to renew our faith and love in Jesus this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story of Elijah. It thrills our hearts. It blesses us, strengthens us, helps us so many ways. And I pray you will just renew us this day, both in love for you and for each other. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.